Hi everyone, Dr. Elizabeth Bonet here. Dr. Liz, welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Before we jump in, please note that the podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need psychotherapy or hypnotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so please feel free to contact me through my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z-hypnosis.com. Hi everyone, Dr. Liz here. This is airing the week of Hanukkah in 2021. So happy Hanukkah to anyone who is celebrating it. I hope your whole year is filled with light. Today's interview is with Ashley Bernardi. And I typically research someone I'm interviewing relatively well before I talk to them. Go visit their website, make sure I know who they are, what they've done, all kinds of stuff. I don't remember why I couldn't do that with Ashley, but um, I didn't. And I am so glad I didn't because she is a rock star. I think I would have been really, really nervous if I had. She has been a top booker for the early show, Bloomberg TV, Washington Post Live. She's interviewed all over the world, like been an international reporter. She's worked with heads of state, celebrities, like all kinds of stuff. You will hear that in her interview. She is super genuine, very articulate, gets right to what she's talking about and how she came up with it. She has such a wonderful, enthusiastic heart. So I think you'll really enjoy the interview as much as I did. I really, really did. We talk quite a bit about how she came up with the feel framework, how it is difficult for people to feel their feelings. So if you're struggling, this is the interview for you, for sure. What is stress hard and stress soft? Because I had never really heard those terms before. And what truly is self-care? You know, that term gets thrown around so much. And I just love her definition of it. Now, next week, I'm going to review her book. She did send me her book after the interview, and I absolutely love it. So keep your eye out for that one. That's going to be HM227. This is HM226. All right, everyone. I hope you're healthy and safe. If you're listening to this and you're not so healthy, I hope it helps you be a little healthier, whether that's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Peace. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Hello, Dr. Liz. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes, yes. I was very excited when your information came through because um, I was a postpartum depression specialist, PMD, actually perinatal mood disorders. So that includes prenatal and postpartum. And I see that you've done some work around that. Yeah. That's not really the focus of my practice anymore, but it was for many, many years. And mm -hmm. I think your focus on women and women's mental health is really important. So can you tell me some of your story, how this all started for you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much um, for the opportunity to share my story, because I do feel like the more I talk about it, the more I learn that I'm not alone. And that a little bit of wisdom that I might be able to offer could help others and vice versa. Story starts when I was 11 years old. I am a childhood survivor of trauma. 
uh, in that I lost my father to a sudden death heart attack. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I was home when it happened. Uh, he right, he died right in front of me mm. and my sister and my mom. Uh, we tried to save his life. I called 911. My sister, who was nine years old, gave him CPR. And um, but unfortunately, what we learned was that there was there was just nothing that we could do um, to save his life. It was his time to go. But of course, for a nine year old and 11 year old, which I was at the time, that is just the most unimaginable trauma to yes, face, but yes. also the weight of his death um, sitting on my 11 year old soul. Like, what could I have done? Was it my fault that he died? Um, and so I went on my entire, like probably about 27 years, um, having this guilt, but also really not talking about my trauma. Um, interestingly enough, you know, after he died, I went back to school pretty quickly. Um, and, uh, I felt like a misfit. I felt out of place. I felt, I didn't feel safe, not like for reasons that people weren't making me feel safe. I just didn't feel like I was being listened to and supported in the way that me, Ashley needed it as a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I went through high school and college, even I didn't even tell anyone that I lost my dad and talk about it. What I did was just bury that grief and trauma within me. It came out many, many other ways through work addiction, through people pleasing, through lack of boundaries, um, through destructive relationships, um, alcohol abuse. I mean, you name it, it just came out in other, what I've learned is that like you bury this, this, these feelings, they're going to come out in other ways if Absolutely. you're not going to process them and deal with them. Yes. So it wasn't until I was in my um, mid thirties, I was, you know, happily married children, but still <laughs> not dealing with my, um, my feelings, my, my trauma. And um, I was pregnant with my third baby. As soon as I delivered her, I was hit over the head with just horrible symptoms that what we learned was undiagnosed Lyme disease. Mm. Um, and, and then also at the same time, postpartum depression and anxiety. And so while we were trying to figure out the Lyme disease diagnosis, it was very clear that I had postpartum depression and anxiety, Mm -hmm. and that looked like frequent panic attacks daily. Um, OCD. I was worried about everything with the baby. She had gunk in her eye, hospital panic. Mm -hmm. It was like, I I couldn't handle any emotions. Um, And so I was put in a part-time mental health facility. Thank God, a (laughs) part-time hospitalization program, which I'm so grateful for. A lot of people don't know what that is, but you go for some hours during the day and then you're living in your home and exactly. And And I went for eight hours a day. You did. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Eight and you hours. didn't have um, this with your other two. I did not have this with my other two. It was the third one. Um, and I do think it was because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know my body, but I think it was, I, I truly think my body could not handle any more trauma, be it physical or mental or an emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I had spent so many years masking pain from my father's death that it had come out in other ways. And my body was just triggered to react in these ways but also with undiagnosed Lyme disease, like at the same time I was dealing with um, the postpartum depression and anxiety, I was having, you know, extreme like neurological um, issues such as like my hands would go numb, my body would go numb. I lost control of my bowels. I had dizzy spells. I had fainting spells. Um, I, I had 
stomach issues. I mean, it was, it was everything. And, uh, healing took the longest time. Um, it took, oh gosh, it took so long. I'm still healing, but I can say here I am today, Dr. Liz fully healed. I am a completely different person than I was Uh when, where I was five years ago when I was delivering my third child, I've addressed and continue to address my trauma from my childhood. And like, you know, even a year ago, I wouldn't be able to tell you about the experience of losing my father, but I can talk about it today and in a way that feels very empowering and healthy to me. So that's, that's a snapshot of my yes, life. That's story. the hopeful <laughs> side, right? For anyone yeah. out there who's struggling is that healing yeah. is possible. Healing is possible. Yeah. And then you wrote a book about all of this. Is that right? Yes. So I wrote a book called Authentic Power, Give Yourself Permission to Feel. And this came up for me really during the start of the pandemic, where I started feeling that um, the the feelings of trauma started bubbling up again. And I was like, oh, I've been here before. I know, I know what to do. I know I should not bury this, these uh-huh. feelings. I know I need to process them in the ways that I learned how to process my illness, postpartum depression, and the, and my trauma from losing my father. And so I had developed, I had already developed all these tools and techniques to process my trauma. And so what I wanted to do was write about it. And so I started by like first writing like an Instagram post and it was so beautifully received. And then, um, through a series of meditations, I said, okay, I need to write a book about this and it's not just going to be my story. I'm going to interview, um, all of the experts that have helped me along the way, because I did not, I, I actually take full accountability for my healing, but I'm so grateful, um, as an entrepreneur, as a publicist, uh, as a connector to have access to some of the like leading minds in the world when it comes to health, wellness, healing, mental health. Yeah. And so I wanted to interview all of those experts in my book. So there's an interviews with 24 experts, um, ranging from psychiatrists to psychologists to ER doctors. My dear friend, Dr. Emma Seppala, she's a Stanford and Yale psychologist. She wrote the Ford. And so it's really like a compilation of my story, but the wisdom from the healers that I've learned awesome. throughout my, my healing process. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, and then you put it into what I found it a really, um, a really interesting framework that you call the feel framework. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I am running across this more and more recently, I would say less in the last couple of years where people really don't want to feel their feelings, right? They really do just want to like stuff them or they, or I hear a family history where it's like, this child was ignored or this child wasn't listened to, or all the focus was put over here. And I think also when there is something that is traumatic that happens in a family, the focus gets put sometimes on the trauma, right? Versus like the child, (laughs) the child that needs help. Yeah. Yeah. So my father passed away of a a brain tumor when I was 18, a senior in high school. So I can totally relate to that feeling of trauma and also going back to school. I remember crying and not wanting to go back to school. My mom said it had been two, probably two weeks. And my mom said, you have to go, like, you have to go now. You have to face it. But feeling like a stranger, you know, like that feeling that you described was, um, was, yeah, I completely remember that just feeling like, all right, my dad is, is gone. There is no safety in the world. Yes. And I, at 11, that would be 
I think worse, honestly, than at 18, when you're looking to like apply to colleges and, you know, get out of the world and all of this stuff, but that sort of becomes a focus, the trauma versus the child. And then the feelings do get stuffed down. So I have found that over and over again. And I think the feel framework, F-E-E-L, is like a wonderful way to say, hey, let's figure out how to handle these without it overwhelming us. So can you go over that feel framework for us? Yes, absolutely. And I'll just say this, this is, this feel framework was years in the making because Uh obviously we know healing doesn't happen overnight. It took me 27 years to address the emotions of my father's death Mm -hmm. uh, and the feelings that I had buried. And, and then when I, when I had like really sat and been like, okay, here's my process for moving through any uncomfortable emotion. It doesn't have to be a trauma. It can be, you know, maybe you had a tough conversation at work and as a business owner, I have to do that almost daily. And so I wrote it down and I was like, oh my God, it's literally feel (laughs) like aha moment. I was like, are you, this is awesome. So um, yeah, it's easy to remember. (laughs) Use the feel framework to feel your feelings. (laughs) Feel your feelings. So the first thing you want to do is like, when you notice that uncomfortable, messy feeling bubbling up, the first thing we want to do is boop. Nope. I want to go, go about my day. I'm not going to address it. But what I've learned is that those feelings are here for a reason. We can learn from them. So instead of bearing it down, focus on it and identify it. And maybe you can identify that feeling and that's okay too. Like you don't have to put a name on it. I've learned. It's just that like this uncomfortable feeling, maybe it's like where it's, it might just be a feeling of, of uncom- uncomfortableness showing up in your gut or like your shoulders, you're feeling the stress, like in your shoulders. I do that a lot. When I get stressed, I notice that my shoulders go up to my ears. Yeah. So just identify it by focusing on it. So focus on that emotion or feeling. I'm so glad you said that too, that you don't have to know what it is because yeah. so many people are like, you know, classic therapist question is to say, well, what are you feeling? And they're like, I don't know. And so, you know, I've learned over the years, of course, it's like, I'm better as a therapist to say, well, let's, let's figure out where you're feeling it in the body first. Where is it? And then sort of this identification process that goes on, that's important, but I love that. You don't have to know what it is. Like, could you pull out your like feeling wheel with all the different colors? You could, but you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Just start somewhere of focusing on the feeling wherever it is or whatever it is. Yeah. And I love that you're saying that. Cause, and that's something that I've learned too. And now having, I've gone through like my own, like life designer life coaching. And that's something that I ask folks too. It's like, where is it showing up for you in your body? Mm-hmm. Like if you can't identify it, it's cool. Don't name it, but focus on what it is that you're feeling. Right. So focus on that. Where is it showing up? Right. Okay. So then this, this, the, this is the uncomfortable part. This is the part that nobody wants to experience, but, but I think it's necessary to process. And what I say using the feel framework, it can be used in a meditation. It can be used as you're on a walk. It can be used as you're driving in the car. It's really, it can be done anywhere and it can take as long or as short as you want. So focus and then enter, enter within that emotion. You feel that tensity in your shoulders, really feel it. So you want to enter it, right? Say, all right, sadness, whatever, whatever it's coming up. Oh, I'm enter within the, where it's coming up in your stomach. And it doesn't even have to be physical. It can also be meditation, meditative. Like I'm feeling anger. Okay. I'm entering within that anger. Then I want you to experience that emotion mm-hmm. and this can be fun, but it can also be really hard. So, um, 
just as an example of what it looks like to experience, um, in my book, I interviewed Dr. Jamie Hope, who is an ER doctor, and we talk about stress hard and stress soft. And so she gives recommendations on ways that you can stress hard. So if you're feeling anger, scream, right? Mm -hmm. Let it out. Let that scream out. I can't tell you how good it feels to scream when you're angry or stressed out, Mm -hmm. or even just taking that audible sigh, like, Uh, you know, it just feels so good to let it out. So experience that emotion, right. And maybe it's sadness. So maybe it's crying. You know, the other day I was, um, triggered by, I was, I was actually giving another interview about my dad and we were really going into it after the interview, I looked at a picture of him and I, and I just started crying Mm -hmm. and, you know, usually like we tell kids to stop crying, like crying is not socially, usually socially acceptable in public, but I just now let myself do it. I was going through the whole field framework myself. And I was like, identified it. I'm sad. I see that picture of my dad. I just had a conversation. God, I really miss him. Mm -hmm. And I just let it out. Or if I'm angry, I scream. It's just whatever feels good for you. But I would say like, we are primal beings and doing so in a physical way. So long as it's safe is very healthy in my opinion. Um, so, so that's the experience part of that emotion. And it's also okay if you're not feeling anything and just sit there and meditate on it and see how that feels and is showing up and what comes up for you in a meditation. That's part of experiencing that emotion. The whole idea for me is that we're not bearing it. It's bubbling up so we can let it. And this goes to my last point of the feel framework is listen to that emotion. Listen, what is it there to teach us? Listen learn from that emotion and love it back. Thank you. I was, you know, the other day when I was very tearful over my father, I was so grateful that I still had those tears. Even 27 years later, he still has an impact on my life. And of course I'm going to miss him. Of course I'm going to cry about it. So I'm loving that sadness that I feel because that just shows what a strong connection and what an important person he was in my life. Mm -hmm. So that's just feel F focus E enter. E, experience. L, listen, learn, love it back. Fantastic. I love it. I really do. And I love how you explain it as well. What do you say to people who, let's say their habit is to shut it down and they're like, yeah. all right, I'm 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 entering into it. Let's say they make that ah, sound, but then that's where they stop. Or let's say um, sadness is really hard for, for people to feel like even for myself, I taught myself not to cry for many, many years until I had a really good therapist. (laughs) So you basically have to relearn how to cry. And I would watch sad shows or sad movies or something like that to help myself cry. So what do you tell those people? It's like, okay, I know something is here, but I really don't, uh, I hate to use the word one, but let's put one, one in quotes, air quotes. This yeah. is just audio. Yeah. So they, they can't see my little fingers, but <laughs> one's air quotes. I don't want to feel that. What do you say to them? Oh gosh. I have so many thoughts on this because I have been there, right? Like I did not want to feel the, even the fact that I had lost my dad. I did not want to feel the fact that I had this postpartum depression. Like I just wanted to put a wall up. It was very scary. Mm-hmm. So what I can tell is just love yourself. It's okay. Like be gentle on yourself. Um, it's okay that you, you, like, I would say to myself, Ashley, it's okay that you want to put a wall up. These are scary, Mm -hmm. scary to feel this. Also, what else is coming up for me is don't rush yourself. You don't need to rush into these feelings. If you're like, okay, I feel sadness, but nothing's coming up. 
say, okay, that's okay. And I even say that in my book. So if you experience this and you're noticing nothing's happening, that's cool too. Give yourself some grace. The fact that you have the awareness and you're trying is so important because Mm -hmm. I feel like going through, we, we have been conditioned to not cry, to not feel. And so it just takes an unraveling to do. And it's almost like flexing a feeling muscle. So the fact that you're just even trying and having that awareness, give yourself a high five. Like, wow, I tried really hard today and I'm going to give myself grace. Like I write that down all over the place because emotions are still hard for me sometimes too. It is hard. Um, and so I will write down an affirmation saying, I give myself grace. I give myself grace. And I, this is, and I also have, <laughs> I have a picture that my daughter drew of a turtle next to my office wall here because healing is slow. It's like not a sprint. Like you want to like, okay, I'm going to feel it. I'm going to move on, but that's not how it happens at all. It is so slow. So go kind on yourself and tell yourself that healing is a slow process. It's meant to be a slow process and give yourself grace in that process too. Fantastic. I I think that's really lovely. Like give myself grace. Absolutely. And just credit for trying credit for the first step of awareness. Like I am feeling something. I don't know. I'm feeling something. What the hell it is, but I'm feeling something. Right. And that's okay that you can't identify it. And like the fact, and you know what I would say to that also, which has really helped me. If you're like, I have this feeling, I'm not ready to physically feel it. Um, I do something called, and I talk about this in my book too. It's called sacred writing. Mm -hmm. Um, my friend and spiritual mentor, Leanne Taylor taught me how to do this. And it's just actually just like, dumping all of your thoughts onto paper, unscripted, unedited, just go ask yourself, what is it that I'm feeling? And you will actually surprise yourself. If you just let it write journal and see what comes up for you, there's, there's a lot, everyone has wisdom within. And I, and I find a helpful tool for me is to just get it out from my brain and my heart onto paper. And that's why I have journals in literally every single room of my house, (laughs) cracks and crevices, because I will like pick up a journal and start writing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. This might be a result of this. You just start thinking a little bit more. So that's one thing that I would recommend if you're, if you're stuck and not sure where to start, in addition to giving yourself grace, try writing it out. And, uh, and we, I call it sacred writing and just a space that's a safe, beautiful space, unedited. You're the only one that's going to see it. If you feel like ripping it up and, you know, putting mm-hmm. the trap to let it go. That's cool too. Whatever works for you, but that's something that's really worked for me. That's a good, very good idea. Good suggestion. I want to go back to the concept. We sort of breezed over it a little bit of um, stress hard or stress soft. Yes. Okay. Yes. Could you explain that a little more? Cause that is brand new to me. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. So I learned about stressing hard and stressing soft through Dr. Jamie Hope. So she's that ER physician in the Detroit area who, um, you know, during the pandemic, they were losing a lot of patients. And so I, I wanted to learn, okay, well, we're all in this incredible amount of stress right now, going through this collective trauma. That is a pandemic. What do you recommend? And she's like, well, I recommend everybody has a stress hard and a stress soft toolkit. And I said, okay, what does stressing hard look like? And I learned that it could look like a couple different things. Um, have you ever heard of something called dish therapy? No. Is that throwing okay. or doing? Dish therapy. <laughs> no, not doing the dishes. Okay. But so Dr. Hope said, all right, there, there's something called dish therapy that you know you can do in a safe environment. You take a trash can and you take some old dishes, or you like pick up some dishes from like a yard sale, or whatever. You might want to tell your neighbors. You put some glasses on and you just throw the dishes 
in the trash can. And she said, it's the most satisfying thing you will do to release your anger. And the whole point of this and her thesis is that we are primal beings, right? So back in the old days, we'd like hit our chest and scream and, and in a safe way, like punch things like punching a pillow, if you need to do that. Uh Um, and I recall, and that really resonated with me because I recalled a moment when I was a child after I had lost my dad, where my primal emotions just came out. And I remember I was been playing outside shortly. I lost my dad and, um, I came inside and something came over me and it was just a wave of anger. And I grabbed my bedpost and I shook it. So I was only this like tiny 11 year old kid. I shook it so hard. I was so angry that it broke and I didn't know what had wow. come over me. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God, but it felt so good. And of course my mom was like, okay, I'm concerned here. This is <laughs> yeah. the safest way for you to do this. So Dr. Hopes says that, you know, do this in a safe way, whether it's like punching a pillow. Right. And the same thing goes for teaching our kids to stress hard and stress soft. So sometimes, you know, when kids throw a tantrum on the floor, you want to be like, okay, don't do that. You can't do that. But like my little, my middle one, Kate, if she gets angry, she'll sometimes like punch or kick or scream. And I'm like, wow, I noticed you're really angry. And I think that's okay that you're getting it out in this way, as long as you're safe. Right. Uh-huh. So, so it's like g- giving your kids permission to stress hard, but also giving yourself permission to stress hard. And if dish therapy is not, not your way of doing it, there's so many other ways. And I talk about it in my book too. There's something called damn it dolls. Have you ever heard of a damn it doll? No. You can get a damn it doll on Amazon uh-huh. and they call it differently if you're going to do it for kids, but it's literally a doll, a soft doll that you can just whack, like you just <laughs> whack it against your wall, you whack it against your pillow and you just go and you like get that primal release out. Right. Uh-huh. So those are all part of your like stress hard toolkit. Okay. So there's this. It does. It does make sense. The stress hard makes sense. Um, It reminds me of, I I was going through this experiential program many years ago. It was like 2014, 2014. Yeah. 2014. And one of the women worked for like a window company. I live in South Florida and there's hurricane windows, which are impact resistant right? Right. They'll handle a hurricane. And so something had happened to her son and her boss took her one day and gave her a baseball bat and took her over to the showroom and said, go at it with the baseball bat and the hurricane window, you know, because it wouldn't even break, but you could hit it as hard as you could. And I always remember that, how she said it felt so good. That's what you're talking about. Like get all of that physical energy out. Yes. Getting it out in, in, in a safe way. Right? Yes. The, it's the idea is that we don't want to bury that anger within. And so when we're letting it out, we're processing it in a safe way. And there's other ways, you know, you can stress soft too. So like that could look like a deep sigh that could look like a meditation that could look like, okay. you know, I mean, it could literally look however you want. Sometimes for me, stressing soft is hopping in the bath and listening to classical music or watching a ballet. But I, and this is something that I did when I was in my throes of Lyme disease and postpartum depression. I had a list of my coping mechanisms for stressing soft Uh on the refrigerator as a reminder um, for when I would feel panicky or when I would feel anxious or starting think uncomfortable feelings started bubbling up. I looked to my, on my refrigerator, on my toolkit, like, okay, 
right now I'm going to go hop in the bath and take an Epsom salt bath and I'd immediately feel better. So you always have that option to stress hard and stress soft. And so what I recommend is like, write down your ways that you can do it. So next time you're feeling that way, you can get it out in a safe way. Yes. Okay. So a lot of the stress soft, it reminds me of like a lot of people call that self-care. It could yeah, be self-care. Could be self-care. Yeah. And I think, or what something yeah. that makes you feel better. Well, how do you differentiate it from self-care actually? Yeah. So I think that, you know, self-care is a term that <laughs> I don't, I, I've, I've kind of struggled with the definition of self-care because self-care looks so different for everyone. Mm-hmm. I used to think self-care was, oh, it's me getting my nails done and it's me getting a haircut. And that's so now I'm like, that is not my self-care. I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> Cut is not fun. And I hate getting my nails done. Oh my gosh. Just thinking this the other day that <laughs> I, I mean, I need my haircut from time yeah. to time, but I really do not enjoy. It. I love getting my hair washed. I love getting yes, dried. I do not like getting a cut. Yes. I was just thinking this the other day. I was like, how do I do this less? Yeah. <laughs> To me, that's not self-care. So like, it's like really what's going to bring you back to your authentic self. So what I've learned my self-care is, is actually running. And I, and it's like really sweating, running. Like last night I did a run with my um, five-year-old and she was in a stroller and it was six miles, 6.2 miles. I was so proud of myself. And I just felt amazing. Running is a spiritual connection for me. And that was my self-care. So my self-care is me rejuvenating my soul and, um, and processing stress or uncomfortable feelings in a way that is empowering versus getting my hair done. And sometimes even getting a massage is not my self-care. Sometimes like my self-care is literally just like going out in my bare feet and putting my feet on the grass and like bringing a book with me and reading it. So it it really can look however you define it. And if getting your nails done is your self-care and you love it, great, you should do it. But it Mm -hmm. should be something that empowers your soul and connects to that authentic um, wisdom that's already within you. And for me, self-care took a very long time to figure out what it really was versus what I thought it should be. And I think that's the big um, differentiator that we in society have mixed up, um, whether it's through like marketing and advertising and, you know, like go shopping, like that's your self-care. Shopping is not my self-care. It actually energetically drains me. So really defining (laughs) what Um, and so I've learned like my definition of self-care is different from yours, but I also think that everyone needs to really look at what is self-care to them, because usually it doesn't mean pampering yourself and getting your nails done and going shopping. It's like, what is, what's going to be food for your soul? Yeah. I love that definition of it and the differentiation between that. And it's almost like a subtle, I don't know, step to the left or something between self-care and stress soft. Yeah. Stress soft is more like, okay, I'm, I'm realizing I'm stressed here. Yeah. Self-care, it feels like to me, like, yeah, what's going to rejuvenate? What's going to help you connect with your soul? That's almost preventative versus I'm be, I'm stressed right now. Perhaps I can't do the stress hard right now, but I yeah. can do a stress soft. 
I can Bye. do a breath work meditation, mm-hmm. right? I can breathe. I can hold onto my belly and put my hand on my heart, mm-hmm. close my eyes and start breathing. Right. And that's actually even safer way to move through your stress rather than like burying it and going to get your nails done. That's yes. just, <laughs> you're not addressing your feelings by getting your nails done. But if you're taking a moment to put your hand on your heart and on your stomach, and just breathe 10 deep breaths. Like for me, that's my favorite way to stress soft is mm-hmm. through breath work. Mm-hmm. It changes so many things. Like I think physiologically, like in my body. And of course, like I am not a doctor, I am just a trauma survivor. So I know what works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what works for me may or may not work for you. And that's okay too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You also talk about the power of connection and community okay. and you mentioned, I think this was before we started the recording that you're a highly sensitive person. And I had just aired an interview on HSPs, highly sensitive people. You talk somewhat about empathy as a way to heal. So can you talk more about that, how you find that or where you discovered this, that social connections are a protective factor for depression or how doing something, how having empathy for someone else, or I'm going to throw animals in here too, because we're, we're fostering our second set of kittens and yeah, they're super cute. And my um, husband said to me, this is just yesterday. He said, is this going to be a thing from now on? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I said to him, I was like, yeah, it is. Like every couple of months, we may foster a set of kittens because they bring me joy and happiness. Originally, it was for my daughter, my 15-year-old, who was not having a good time last year, m- mentally and emotionally. And one thing that one of my friends actually recommended is she needs to volunteer somewhere if she likes animals, find an animal, something like that, something to give her a sense of helping some something else other than herself, a sense of connection, yeah. a sense of, of something to live for, of meaning. So mm-hmm. we found this cat shelter and this is, we go every single week and we both love it. And so eventually you're going to foster kittens. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to end up with a set of kittens. So, um, you know, that to me is like service. And so it is. Yeah, absolutely. And as a social connection, but you know, how I started off this whole question is doing something for other people or animals. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit from your perspective? Yes. And I love that. I'm a cat mom too. We have two rescue cats who we love. And I just, I want to say something about connection because social connection is so important. I've learned that, but there are also other forms of connection, like connecting with nature, being of service Mm -hmm. to nature. Um, So for me, that's gardening and caring for my flowers and my plants. And it's okay if you don't have a green thumb, but I can tell you this pulling weeds out is a very, very satisfying way to stress. <laughs> it is. It is. So, for me, it's so satisfying. So connecting with nature, connecting with animals, you know, we have our foster cats and then also we recently just got hamsters. Um, and so of course that's just the way of being of service to something greater than yourself. And I found through my healing process that that was so helpful to me because when you are sick and I can empathize with anyone who is sick in the throes of any form of illness, all you want to do is get better. So it's hard to look outside of your own world and see that there are other things happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, like even going back to my childhood, 
and dealing with trauma, I was the loneliest, most isolated kid, or at least that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt isolated when I was going through PPDNA, loneliness, isolation, Lyme disease, loneliness, isolation. It was like repeated themes that I had kept feeling and feeling. So Oh, you yeah. Know, a- that that reminds me of when I was going yeah. through my first postpartum depression. I was very isolated, very. <laughs> and one of my friends from across the country contacted someone she knew on a message board that lived in my area and said, can you please invite Elizabeth to your play group that you're having? <laughs> like, And that is really where I feel like the healing began. Yes, it's so true. And, and so I think for women who have dealt with PPDNA, um, we're so brave. And for me, it took my own bravery mm-hmm. to actually reach out. So the first thing I did was reached out to a group of my girlfriends. They had no idea what was going on. And I just, I was so weak. I couldn't even talk. I just sent them an email and I was like, I need you guys to just pray for me. This is what I'm going through. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression. I still have this mystery illness at the same time. They haven't figured it out. I just, I really like if you're the praying type, I would just appreciate your prayers. And that was my first step to make that ask. And I'll say this, it was very brave to do because when we're feeling that lonely and isolated, it's like, you don't want to burden anybody else with your problems. You don't think will understand. What I learned was that I was so wrong in that assumption. Mm -hmm. So suddenly I was getting meals brought to my doorstep, which I was so grateful for. And it was very, very needed because I couldn't care for my family at the time. And people were calling me and just bringing me like flowers or just showing up at my house and sitting with me. And I'll never forget like sitting on my kids. One girlfriend sat on my kids, um, bedroom floor with me and just let me cry in my knees and just like just to have someone there for you. And then the other thing I noticed that that started helping. Like I I felt like I was, um, had somehow created this safe bubble to start talking about it outside of therapy, which is so necessary and Mm -hmm. needed, like a huge proponent of it still go weekly. Um, but I also got curious about my community too. And I ended up while I was sick, I joined my church community and became an active member and started singing in the choir, which I found that singing was another great way for me to stress off because it was my, I was singing beautiful hymns and I almost felt like I was manifesting healing in my life just through the power of my voice. And that was another supportive community that I found that I felt like I could share a very, you know, share about my experience in a way that wasn't so much victim mindset, but empowering, like we are here for you. Um, And the other thing I'm going to mention really quickly to listeners, because I'm, I grew up in the, in a church, but was, um, I'm not religious at all. I'm spiritual. I have my own freaky yeah. deaky higher yeah. power. Okay. But I don't, <laughs> oh, that is me too now. <laughs> but what I discovered, I don't remember how I discovered this, but there are community choirs. So if you're not part of a church and you don't want to join a church choir, there are community choirs. Now, I don't know how many are running in 2021. This is going to air at the end of 2021 because of COVID. But what I've heard is that they're starting to meet again. And one of my daughter's friends is in a a girls choir and um, they often rehearse outside. They do things like that, but that's a wonderful 
a wonderful resource, I would think. And I I know the one I had contacted them right before COVID hit (laughs) saying like, I'd love to sing. And I hadn't sung for a long time since I sang in my church choir as a teenager. (laughs) And I said, um, I can't sing well anymore. And they said, that's okay. You don't have to. And they they were so encouraging, accepting. So I hope that that experience around the country or the world, but apparently there are community choirs around the world that meet. Yes. It's so true. And like, I love that you said that because I'm actually like very interested in finding a community choir here now, given I am a very spiritual person, like, like you, I'm like higher power all the way, not a religious person anymore. Um, but there's so many other communities that I've tapped into to find like-minded soul connected people. So like I have a running group now and that like, it's amazing. And I have my community at my yoga studio and, you know, and I always say that like, if you're like, even at work, me, like I created a a support group, like just a support community, because I noticed that all my colleagues and I were, we were all stressed at work, but we also had this pandemic going on. So I was like, let's create a support group and have an expert come in once a month. And just like, it's a guided group support, um, outlet for us. And so it's just, it's been, I've been very proactive in like searching for and finding communities, um, to enrich my life and the lives of others, because I have learned profoundly that the power of connection is so important. But I also want to say this as an introverted extrovert and also an empath empath and highly sensitive person that connection with self is just as important to me as for a connection with others. Like Mm -hmm. this morning, and I loved your interview with Nicole on HSPs on your podcast, but like just this morning, I woke up an hour, hour and a half before my kids woke up and I, and I just drank my coffee. I played planned out my meals. I sat in silence because I wanted to have that connection to myself. And in the same way, I also do that at night. It's like me reading, me drinking a warm tea or a hot Mm -hmm. cocoa, just like having that time for myself to wind down too. So like, yes, when I talk, when I speak of connection definitely means socially community uh, and building empathy around doing things for others, but it also means connecting with yourself and doing things for you too. Absolutely. Yes. In terms of like yourself and others, it needs to be a balance for most people. Absolutely. And find the balance that works for you. Sometimes I say balance, people think it's like 50, 50 and it's like, no, it may be 75, 25. I don't know. (laughs) You've got to figure out what works for you. But finding a a balance that feels good. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. Could you please tell people how to find your book and your podcast? We didn't really talk about your podcast. What is it called again? Two Girls Talking? Thank you. My my podcast is called Two Girls Talking. And this is such a fun, it's a fun passion project that a friend and I have done because we're both journalists. I'm a former journalist. She's a current journalist. So it's two journalists two moms and two business owners. And awesome. so we talk about the, co- like this, the collaboration of life is like mom to young kids, being a business owner, but also being a journalist too. So we get curious. We have some pretty exciting yeah. interviews on there. And yeah, thank you for that. And my book is Authentic Power. Give yourself permission to feel. You can find it at all the major bookstores, Barnes and Noble, and also on Amazon too. So um, in it, I share my story of healing and also interview uh, 20 incredible change-making experts about how I healed and their wisdom and advice too. Well, I am looking forward to reading it. I usually read the books before, but somehow I didn't get yours 
um, before, but I'm going to go check it out afterwards. Oh, so I am really looking thank forward to so reading much. it. I, really I can't am. wait to hear what you think. Thank you, Dr. Liz. Yes. And thank you again for being here. It's a really wonderful interview and a wonderful day now. It's my pleasure. truly enjoying today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace.